listening to the Art Problems Podcast, episode 44. I'm your host, Patty Johnson. This is the podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. And this is a special podcast where we talk about how to assess our successes and plan for more of them. It is specifically designed for beginning of the year planning. And while I'm not sure it's a series exactly, I wanted to talk to Netflix members about the planning that they did. So I'll be periodically releasing the interviews as they make sense over the next month or so. And honestly, I cannot tell you how excited I am about these interviews. And I say this as someone who still kind of feels like goal setting is tedious and was a chronic non-planner reacting to problems as they came along and feeling like there was so much to do that there really wasn't time for a plan. And I will add that I was also convinced that setting goals was a fool's errand in the arts because I saw no way to plan for opportunities that seemed random and work that never seemed to let up enough to even make a plan. And let me tell you where that changed for me because when I realized that goal setting is also about articulating a dream and then figuring out how you get to do it, I started to think about it really differently. Because when you want to do those things, you really start to take goal setting more seriously. And I started to have a lot more fun. And I want that for you too. So the non-planning days for me are over. And as a result, I created a workbook for Netflix members. And we'll be doing a special session of planning this week inside the membership. Now, the workbook, for those of you who are members listening to this, it's not meant to be used as scriptures. Goals are meant to be adjusted as you get more information. But put the work into the research and reflection of the past year and what you have coming up so you can set attainable goals. We have more robust set of videos like the live workshop, all this stuff happening inside the membership. But I wanted to make sure that everyone, members and non-members alike, has something to start. And so this interview is a really big part of that. So even if you don't have the workbook or the sessions or any of that, this interview will give you a sense of what's involved and you can get started on that. My first interview is with Netflix member Heather Beardsley, who's here to help you figure out what you need to have in place to set goals and how they can help you. Heather, welcome to the program. Thanks, Patty. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. Now, I wondered if you could introduce yourself and your work to all of our listeners. I am a mixed media artist. I work mostly in sculpture and fibers, but also some alternative photography and animation. Um, my work deals with environmental themes. I visited Chernobyl in 2017 and saw what it was like when people aren't there for 30 years. And so um, a lot of what I do is plants overtaking built environments in a lot of different media. Wow. So that, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty intense work. And uh, when you came to Netflix last year, one of the things we did is we had everybody set goals. And what were your feelings when you decided that you were going to set some goals? I was something I had done before, but maybe less intensely. I think I had heard the term smart goal before. 
And right. when I was in grad school, one of my professors had me do one of those one-year, three-year, five-year worksheets. Um, but again, I wasn't necessarily thinking in steps in that way of having a plan for how to do them. Right. So how did you use, like, how did you set up your plan this year? I I know I did the the workshop that you did. I didn't catch it live, but I went through later and spent a lot of time filling in my worksheets. I think the revenue and sales goals were actually that assessment that yes. we did as well. And I think I was looking, I did a bump up definitely from what my revenue and sales were the year before. That year was in 2021 was the first year or no, 2022 was the first year I did a really good job of tracking <laughs> my money and wanted to make a clear goal of the tracking this year too, uh, to really, I think we you've talked about money before on the podcast and issues artists tend to have around it, like emotional baggage. And I definitely had that of not wanting to know how much or often how little I was making. Because oh, I had that too for years. It was, yeah. it, it was so hard to look at. Mm-hmm. And so I think that held me back, but listening to some business podcasts made it really, and, you know, listening to how artists transitioned from being, having a day job to a full-time artist, it made it really clear to me I needed to know that information more. So that's why setting those financial goals, which in the past I had never done before, felt like a really important step. Um, I had no idea, you know, about reaching them. Like my income like most artists is very up or down but I think just holding yourself to account in terms of tracking like that was a big part of it is like well then I need to actually know what I am spending what my expenses are how much work I'm I'm making how much is the retail value of that work so I can start planning I love that you're talking about this uh, because I mean it's just so important to uh, know what your numbers are so that you can do that planning. Now, how did you track your numbers? What were you using special software? How did you transition from I am not tracking anything to okay, here's how I'm doing this now? I use Google Sheets. Google so Sheets, I okay. Have, you know, different sheets within my accounting sheet where, you know, income, expenses. I use Hannah Cole, who I know you know oh, I love her. on the podcast. I have her artist guide to tax deductions so that when I'm entering expenses, I can go ahead and pre-sort those things. And I've made, I've learned how to use Google Sheets where I can make the drop down menu and like add those classifications in. And same with like, and my income, I have it sorted, you know, between the different kinds of income I have. If it's from doing a workshop versus... Um, an exhibition fee or honorarium or speaking fee versus sales uh, versus like a grant, I can, you know, have that color coded in there and sort it. And I have it arranged now where I have it color coded by quarter. Wow. So has that impacted anything that you make, like your decisions about what you make because you're tracking what you, what you spend? Somewhat, I need to be a bit more disciplined because since I use so many different media, I technically have like a ton of supplies. All I could probably make work for two years and not have to buy right supplies because I'll get like a grant, you know, and I'll go all in and like you know buy a bunch of air dry clay that I use, or I'll buy a bunch of embroidery floss. But then I get a new idea for a different media and I buy stuff for that. So I do. That's something I want to work on this year. Is is having more discipline with that 
but I also use Artwork Archive for my inventory. And one of the things they do is like they have insights so I can see how much I've made in a year, like how many pieces, but also what the retail value was. And that was another thing. Uh, it wasn't part of the network assessment, but you know, I did set a goal for myself that I wanted to make 100,000 worth of inventory. So if I was in a situation where I'm paying a 50% commission, I would feel like I could at least make a decent base salary if I was selling everything, which I'm not, but right. you know, just kind of like, what am I, what am I able to make? And that was my first year really tracking that. And so I do think it did because I do a lot of embroidery and it's very labor intensive and I do these embroidered photos that are small. So there's kind of, it's hard to ask, but so much for them. And I realized if I do really small ones, I really like them. They're nice. The price differential between those small ones and these ones that are larger as in like nine by 12 inches and how much I can ask for both of those as much as I would like given how much longer the bigger ones take. And so right. I have been making more small ones because it is one of those things where it's like I can do this in a day and sell it and make this much versus one that takes me one or two weeks and how much I can sell that for, you know, and with the 50% commission, especially, you know, it's that really cuts. It's like, oh, I'm only going to make $300 more to do this one that takes me an extra week. Do I want to do that? So it did impact it a bit. Like, you know, obviously I, I want to go where the work takes me and not be beholden to a market, especially because there's not a huge market. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think it's helpful just to have that understanding of what is stuff selling for. Well, and I love that you bring this up too, because uh, I think one of the problems for artists who make very labor intensive works is that the smaller works tend to have a, like a higher profit margin than the large works. But from a gallery perspective, it takes just as much effort to sell a large work as it does a small work. And so on their end, it's much more profitable for them to sell the large work. So that's a place where sometimes the, um, you know, the prof, because the profit margins aren't the same things that don't align. <laughs> so I could see that, but my gallery, the gallery I'm working with, I think she does actually like the small ones because most of her artists are much further in their careers and they're making really big work. And so I think she likes having stuff that for like more emerging collectors, she can be like, hey, you want to buy this for, you know, $500, $600 and it doesn't take up a lot of space if you don't have a big house. And so far that seems to be something that, that she's been interested in. And that's, that's perfect to have that. So, so this year you, or this year, last year you set your goals. So you set the revenue goals. What were they? I set a revenue goal of 20,000 and then a sales goal of 10,000. And how did this impact what you did going forward? I mean, initially, not a ton. I was kind of just trying to see throughout the year. Like I had a residency program that came with, you know, a 2000 euro grant at the beginning of the year. And then I had a museum show that came with, you know, an honorarium in the second quarter. And then that led to an acquisition in the third quarter. So I was kind of tracking throughout the year. Uh, I think when the big push came was kind of in December and I had gotten behind a bit in the fall with my accounting. And I looked, I was like, wait, am I only 
a thousand dollars short of this. <laughs> that pushed me to send out some emails to people that had expressed interest in buying work and see what came back. And then I hit it. So now did you hit the goal or did you exceed the goal? I exceeded it. <laughs> That's fantastic. I would clap, but I, and I actually did. Maybe you could hear the one single clap, but then I stopped myself because I was like, this podcast is going to be filled with loud clapping. <laughs> but that's really fantastic. So the goal setting really did work. Now, at any point, did you become nervous about this? Not necessarily, just because I do have that understanding that this is unpredictable. And so I think I went into it knowing that, you know, there's a lot that's not in my control. And uh, it's okay to reassess. I think that was something... Um, Something I need to work on is like those built-in reflection periods, but I know that's something you talked about in the goal-setting workshop and, you know, having that understanding that like if this museum show hadn't come through, I would not have met that goal. And that came through really quickly. I did not know this time last year that I was going to have that show. And, you know, it's one of those things too. I have a large sculpture piece that a local business has expressed interest in buying. I don't know if it'll end up happening or not, but like if that went through, I would, that would be like my goal for the year already, right. just from one thing. And then I would have to reassess. And so I think that is something to keep in mind where using it to motivate, but not punishing yourself. It's not going well, cause that would just be really discouraging. And I'm already can be prone to a lot of self-criticism. So I think having that understanding that like, you know, I might get one grant and that's the whole goal for the year, or I might not, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can make these kind of decisions to reach out to people and to track things and stay positive about it. What was the biggest lesson that you learned this year? What was the biggest lesson you learned about yourself and how you work this year? I've always struggled with patience, especially when it comes to my art career. And so I think I've learned something about sticking with it. In 2022, a local university museum, I was in a fiber show there with 12 other, it was 12 artists total. And I was the only local artist and it was the biggest time I had shown this body of work together, the most of that work. I almost had a room to myself. It was a really big space and I felt so good about it, but then nothing really happened. And I was feeling discouraged, but then through doing this residency in the spring at this local arts organization, the man who runs that is also on this private public art foundation for the city. And he invited, you know, the couple who chair that to an art opening with him at a museum and I met them there and then they decided they wanted to do this special private event where they paid for catering and alcohol and brought all their friends to the art organization to meet me and the other residents and there when I had some work up they were all like oh yeah we saw you in that show we loved that your work's so good we want to buy something and so, you know, over six months after that show ended, suddenly, you know, it's these just the idea that these things that we do matter, even if we get zero positive feedback at the time, they can accumulate. Yeah. Um, and I do think that that's one thing that we see again and again inside the network portal are members who report wins. And then when they flesh out all the steps that it took 
before, you know, a sale or a show or a residency happened and you find out, or like some major piece of press and you find out that it was like three years in the making or something like that. And that that's part of the process. Just because something doesn't happen immediately doesn't mean that it won't. It's just a building block And they're all there supporting the career, whether or not you can see or feel them. Yeah. And then when I had my solo museum show, I had offered to give this couple a private tour. And what they ended up doing was chartering a bus and bringing all the board members from the foundation down. Oh, wow. (laughs) To see the show because there's... It's the same region, but we have a tunnel under the Chesapeake Bay that separates our cities. And so it's a thing to go through the tunnel for everybody back and forth. (laughs) Uh, But they did that and then they rented out a restaurant and had like a three course meal that they paid for for 15 people that they brought and me. And it was really amazing. And it's just really interesting, these things that just kind of slowly build over time. What an incredible experience. That really sounds wonderful. Now, um, if you had one thing that you would recommend artists do based on your experience, not just this year, but over the last couple of years, like what would you say is the most important thing that you have learned? I think, you know, the work smarter, not harder. For so many years, I put so much work into the artwork, and I still obviously do, and that's the best part and what everything else is for. But, you know, I would work so hard into the work for the exhibition, and I would have no plan for how I was going to get people there and use it to my advantage. And so that work was not smart. And so now, as much as my instinct is when I have a show to be just trying to crank out as much work as possible, I do really try to force myself to sit down and think about those other things so that all that hard work and staying up late and letting other things slide is actually for something that's going to benefit me instead of just a show that's a line on a resume but didn't really lead to other kinds of relationship building or press or uh, sales. And how do you schedule in these things that are not your I don't know, I don't want to say top priority, but things that you don't actually enjoy doing, but you know will push the practice forward when the impulse is to be in your studio and to push out more work. How do you get in to do these other chores, let's say? I definitely try to block out time. So if I'm doing emails, I will sit and just do one after another in a block of time instead of just, you know, taking breaks and having to be interrupted by answering emails. I also, I have a friend who does business consulting and we did a swap during the pandemic where I got, I traded art for some lessons (laughs) and Uh, he taught me to, you know, I use Google calendar for this where I have color-coded again, like several different calendars. And he was having me, you know, it comes and goes how much I actually am implementing it. But when I do, I know it works a lot better is to just like actually the whole day, like everything, not putting, not just using a calendar for appointments, but really first blocking out stuff that I know I have to do. I have to walk my dog. I have to eat. I have to like shower. I have to do laundry, prepare food and 
and by doing that and being that strict with it, it makes you actually realize what time you have. And, oh, you know, so instead of being like, well, I'm not working a day job today. So I have from now until, you know, I have 12 hours, but like I don't because there's things I have to do. And then once I have those blocks of time, I'm like, okay, so I do have a solid two hours in the morning. Maybe I let myself do my emails then and then in the afternoon, my art. And that's where the color coding comes in is because sometimes there are things that like are hard deadlines but when it's just stuff like I nebulously should reach out to some people for studio visits but when is up in the air there's not like a an urgency to it I can kind of move things around in the calendar and be like oh there's not a lot of art making this day I need to break this up a bit so that I'm not feeling over like you know my making is like my therapy (laughs) and so I need to right have that release in there but yeah it lets me see like what the admin tasks are and within that like where the art is and try to block things out that way and just so everybody listening here knows we we have some of that time blocking in the lessons in the goal setting which is the first thing you do when you uh, join NetPark. Heather you are amazing I want to thank you so much for being on the show and just sharing your experience and knowledge and like how the various steps that you have taken to uh, build structure into your practice has really helped uh, develop it. So I want to thank you for coming on and sharing so generously with uh, all of our listeners and I will see you on the portal. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review and share it with a friend. It really helps get that valuable information out to more artists just like you. You can find all of the names and the links that we reference in this conversation at workshop.art slash podcast.